You know, when a doctor must say something like this, is dreadful. I understood you perfectly, Dr. Lindholm, said Miklos. They sat in uncomfortable silence, each on his end of the sofa. Dr. Lindholm was trying to work out whether he should lecture someone who had been sentenced to death. Was it his job to beg his patient to think sensibly? Miklos was wondering whether it was worth trying to persuade Dr. Lindholm, with all his experience, to look on the bright side of things. The upshot was they left each other in peace. That afternoon, Miklos got into bed as prescribed and lay back on his pillows. It was four o'clock, nap time. Some of the patients in his hut were asleep and others were playing cards. His friend Harry was practicing the trickiest part of the last movement of a romantic sonata on his violin, over and over, with aggravating zeal. Miklos was sticking stamps on his 117 envelopes. He licked and stuck, licked and stuck. When his mouth became dry, he took a sip from the glass of water on his bedside table. He must have felt that Harry's violin was an appropriate accompaniment to this activity. The 117 letters could have been written with carbon paper. They were identical, except for one thing. The name of the addressee. Did Miklos ever wonder what these girls might feel when they opened the envelopes addressed to them? What did they think when they took out the letters and began to read his neat, swirling handwriting? Oh, those girls, sitting on the edges of their beds, on garden benches, in the corners of disinfected corridors, in front of thickened glass windows, stopping for a moment on worn staircases, underspreading lime trees on the banks of miniature lakes, leaning against cold yellow tiles. Did my father see them in his mind's eye as they unfolded the letters in their night dresses? or in the pale gray uniforms they wore in the rehabilitation centers? Confused at first, later smiling, perhaps, heartbeat accelerating, skimming the lines over and over in astonishment. Dear Nora, dear Ersebet, dear Lily, dear Susa, dear Shara, dear Sherina, dear Agnesh, dear Giza, Dear Baba, dear Catalan, dear Judith, dear Gabriella, you are probably used to strangers chatting you up when you speak Hungarian, for no better reason than they are Hungarian too. We men can be so bad-mannered. For example, I addressed you by your first name on the pretext that we grew up in the same town. I don't know whether you already know me from Debritson. Until my homeland ordered me to volunteer for forced labor, I worked for the Independent newspaper, and my father owned a bookshop in Gambrinus Court. Judging by your name and age, I have a feeling that I might know you. Did you by any chance ever live in Gambrinus Court? Excuse me for writing in pencil— but I'm confined to bed for a few days on doctor's orders, and we're not allowed to use ink in bed. Lily Reich was one of the 117 women who received the letter. 
She was an 18-year-old patient at the Smolenstenar Rehabilitation Hospital. It was early September. She opened the envelope and scanned its contents. The young man from distant Larbro did have lovely handwriting, but he must have mixed her up with someone else. She promptly forgot the whole thing. Besides, she was terribly excited about her own plans. A few days earlier, she and her two new girlfriends, Shara Stern and Judith Gold, had decided to put an end to the gray days of slow recuperation and set their hearts on staging an evening of Hungarian music in the hospital hall. Lily had studied piano for eight years. Shara had sung in a choir, and Judith had taken dance lessons. Judith had a large, pale face with fine, dark hairs above her thin, rather severe lips. Quite the opposite of Shara, who was blonde and light-boned, with narrow shoulders and shapely legs.